So as you have heard, we've got a lot of baptisms coming today. Praise his holy name. So we get to see that. But that also means that I've got a lot to get through. Uh, we were back in that room praying, and, uh, and uh, Drew says to me, Johnny, you're just like a, pump, a plump orange waiting to be squeezed. <laughs> because it's like this word has been just building in me for, for weeks. It's just been kind of sitting in the oven, just sautéing, you know. I know, I'm not using the cooking terms right. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> sautéing the oven, right? No, okay, all right. So uh, my name is Johnny Levy. I am one of the teaching elders here at Aletheia Church, and I will be using primarily the ESV if you want to follow along in the same version. If you don't, then that's fine. Um, so to get us started, we're going to, first of all, talk a little bit about the sermon yesterday. So I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Genesis 28. Last week we were in Genesis 27, and so we got to hear about uh, Jacob and Rachel conspiring and kind of, kind of cheating to try to get Jacob the blessing from his dad. And, uh, and then we got to see Esau's response and all those different things, all the, all the kind of family drama things that went with that. And so this week we're going to kind of continue that into, uh, into the next phase. Now, my goal here, my goal for today, first I'll just say that there is so much of the gospel in Genesis, I just never knew. I just never knew that the, go- that the gospel was this rich inside of Genesis. And I'll be honest, when Joel, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was like, I think we need to go to Genesis next. And first thing I thought was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really want to go there, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think that's a lot of people's response. I-, I think a lot of people wrestle with the Old Testament. But it has been incredibly life-giving and faith-building for me and I think for the church to see just how consistent God's plan is from Genesis to Revelation. And so my hope is today, I want to thrill your hearts and your minds with the glory of the gift of the gospel that has been given to you, right? Like I want, to, I want us to really just kind of sit there for a bit. And then I want to talk, I'll be talking a bit about the differences between hearing about, seeing, and experiencing, right? So hearing about something, seeing something for yourself, and then experiencing something for yourself, three different things. Now, now, as I the, just a quick framework for, for how we're going to go through the passage, we're going to start with Esau's response. So es- some things are going to be happening with Esau that are going to be instructive to us. We're going to head into Jacob's vision, uh, also called Jacob's ladder. We're going to get deep into the symbolism of that vision and what that vision means. We're going to get into Jacob's response to meeting God in that way. And then we're going to get into our response, right? There's a little secret Easter egg that we're going to jump into at the end uh, about, you know, Jacob's response and our response. So a couple of scriptures to start, and please go ahead and turn, turn there with me, Luke 10, verses 23 through 24, just to set us up, just to get our hearts kind of turned in the right direction. Luke chapter 10, verses 23 through 24. Give you a little bit, a few spoilers of where, where we're going to land at the end. So then turning, this is Jesus, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. All right, so he's preparing them for something, right? Like, man, there's something going on right now that you get to be a part of 
that, that far greater men had wanted to see and didn't get to see in their lifetime. Amen? Amen. Starting to the disciples. All right, next. Colossians 1, 26 through 27. And again, you should be thinking in your minds, how is this going to relate to Jacob having a vision of a ladder and some angels, right? Uh, I just can't help but spoil it. Like it's, the, it's the orange, right? I'm just, you squeeze a little bit and the juice just kind of gets in your eye. So um, Colossians 1, 26 through 27, just a faithful verse. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose, to them being the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that was hidden through ages and generations. All right? So we're going to get into that. So, uh, so let's go ahead and start. We're going to get into Genesis chapter 28. Please turn with me there. And I'll start reading through it. So Genesis 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay, so we're starting out the chapter. Isaac's saying, this is what's got to happen. Now, if you remember, you know, well, why is that happening? Did Isaac just have, have, a, have a sudden idea that that should happen? No, right? Last week, the last, uh, the last chapter, at the very end, when Rachel hears, when Rebecca hears that Esau wants to kill Jacob, she says, oh, I got to get him out of here. <laughs> and so she goes to Isaac and she says, oh, these Canaanite women, right? Like, I hate these Canaanite women that, uh, that Esau married. I sure would hate for that to happen to Jacob. Hint, hint, hint. Let's get him out of here, <laughs> right? And Isaac obviously takes that to heart and immediately acts on it. Uh, now, at this stage, just a couple historical facts. At this stage, Jacob's about 77 years old, okay? So I think we often picture him as a very, very young man. He's not. He's, pretty, he's, 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 he's fairly advanced in years as he goes out on this journey. Um, and so then getting into verse 3, Isaac is still talking here. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. So what's changed about Isaac? Uh, quick, just a quick note here. He got straight tricked, like he got swindled, right? So, so, so what's going on here? Like the, we saw when he found out that he got swindled by Jacob, he shuddered, right? You remember that last week? He shuddered. It was obviously disturbing to him. But we also know he knew, right? He knew we have a fair, you know, we could be fairly confident that he knew that the blessing was supposed to go to Jacob and wasn't supposed to go to Esau. But in his kind of worldliness and his worldly affection for Esau, he tried to switch it on God, 
And what I think we're encountering, you know, now, now we're seeing that there's a softness in him to a degree, right? We don't see him saying, well, you tricked me, now get out of here, right? What we see is he's, he's now cooperating with, right? He's, he's saying, he's volunteering, like, may God give you the blessing. Like, he's not taking it back, right? You could kind of picture him having a lot of different responses if he was mad at Jacob for what he did, but he sends him off with the blessing, right? He pronounces the same blessing that was pronounced over him and over his father. He pronounces it over his son. And you get the sense here, I think, I don't think I'm reading too much into it, that he's realizing he shouldn't have been playing with God, right? Like, he's realizing God's gonna have his way, and I might as well cooperate with that. Right? And so, so we see him sending off Jacob with the blessing. Uh, now, another quick geographical note, we're talking about a, about a 500-mile journey here. So this is a massive undertaking that he's taking on foot. And he's doing it alone. As far as we can tell, he's doing it alone. The reason I say that is because when he comes back, he says, hey, when I left to come to, come to, uh, to this area, all I had with me was my staff. And now I'm going back over and I have all this stuff with me. So all he had was his staff, right? That's, that's what the scripture tells us. So I think, again, a fair interpretation is that he was by himself completely. Going off on a 500-mile journey into, you know, going over who knows what terrain, uh, you can probably imagine how daunting that must have felt for him. Now we're going to take a quick little detour to Esau, right? So there's, there's some things to be learned by Esau's responses. The kind of, the kind of man that Esau was um, is, is a good... Um, a good model for how we don't want to be. Amen? Amen? So now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. There's, there's, there could be a song. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite Okay, whatever. So, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it would be, be a best, I'm going to be rich one day. Okay, and... Uh, <laughs> And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, right? Besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So, so we get to see Esau's response. And, and consistently, this is the response for Esau, right? He, he doesn't have a concern for what God thinks, right? Like he didn't really have a concern for what his dad thinks. What he seems to have more of a concern for is kind of getting his way. Um, he seems to have a concern for kind of trying to, trying to make people, you know, he, he was trying to manipulate his dad to give him the blessing. Like, you know, can, can you just give it to me? Can you just give it to me? Have I lost the whole thing? Did you, did you reserve just a little bit for me? Like he, he just wants what he wants. He's a worldly man, Right? He, he has no, we, we see no evidence that he has any concern about what God thinks, right? And so we see, I would say that Esau is a type of the flesh. Now, we know that Ishmael is a type of the flesh because we see that in Hebrews later, right? Um, so, so he goes and kind of tries to get a, a wife from, you know, from people that are related to his father, not the Canaanite women, um, because he's kind of just trying to go through the motions. And... Um, but it's like besides the wives that he had. And so, so what you can see is a real, a, a real clear principle here. So often I think it, it is easy for people to kind of take faith and make it an add-on or take the right thing to do and kind of make it an add-on, right? Where it's not like I'm trying to get changed. I'm not trying to repent, right? It's like Christianity plus whatever, right? It's like Jesus plus whatever. Like as long as Jesus doesn't interfere with my, uh, my other thing that I already got going on here, 
And, and I'm not telling you, like, don't take it to the extent where I'm saying he should have divorced his wives or whatever, but obviously it's not an issue of repentance for him, right? It's an issue of just trying to, ch- to tick the boxes that are going to make his dad happy because maybe if he makes him happy enough, his dad will do some things for him, right? And that is how many people relate with God. And that is profane, right? Like Esau's called profane. We're going to get into that. So, so uh, Manny got into that yesterday when Esau's mentioned in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3.13, he's called godless, which also means profane. That word is so interesting because it means um, unauthorized entry, crossing a threshold you shouldn't cross, improper entrance, right? So you know how like the flesh is just never going to be accepted by God? No matter how the flesh acts and behaves, God does not accept the flesh, right? It's unauthorized. And so that's what we're seeing here. Like in terms of the responses, we see a fleshly response consistently coming from Esau. And, and where we see that in ourselves, we know we need to repent because that's what God's looking for, right? Not just, okay, let me, let me sweep this under the rug, let me get this behind me, and then, uh, and then just go tack on these other things and check off all the boxes. No, the Lord's looking for us to engage with him, right? Like to engage with him and with who he is and to repent before him and to be concerned about what he thinks and to care what he thinks and not to just see him as a means to an end. Amen? Y'all with me on that? Okay, so moving on. Now we get into the crux. I, you know, I'm a little bit out of breath because, man, I, I, this is where I want to camp out. So now I can slow down a little bit. This is where I want to camp out. Jacob's dream. But don't, but hold that in your, in your mind, like Esau's response, right? And, and again, we could call it Esau's response to God because we look and we see Esau really isn't concerned about God. That is his response, is he doesn't respond to God. He's constantly responding in a worldly way to worldly circumstances. Now Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Man, just try to get that in your, it, like imagine that in your mind, right? Like I've, I've been out like nights. I've been out, you know, I'm, I'm up really early in the morning, so it's still very dark. The sun, you know, and I've just been, been looking at that night sky and trying to imagine, man, what must it have looked like for a ladder to be extending from where I stand all the way up into infinite space? You see what I'm saying? And to see the heaven open and to see God up there, like the heavens are glorious enough, right? You, you can look up and see the stars and get lost in it, but imagine seeing something like that. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give, you to, uh, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Hold that one for a second. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a pretty big promise. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. So we start with the vision, right? So we see what's a, a, a it's, it's translated as a ladder. It's also translated as a stairway. 
So we're, we're seeing this massive stairway, this massive structure leading up to heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending on this thing, right? Just indescribable, probably unimaginable. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I, we probably all have different pictures of that in our mind, but let's try to connect with the awe of what he saw, the expansiveness of what he saw. Now, let's, let's think for a second. Jacob would not have been a stranger to Yahweh. Does that make sense? He wouldn't have been a stranger. His, his, his dad would have been telling him about that. And obviously his dad was telling him those things, although we have reason to believe that his dad wasn't as faithful as he should have been in telling him or Esau the things of God, right? By the way that, is, that, that they behave and the way that they all, this all played out and the things that they know and the things that they don't know. So, you know, so, but he's, he's heard about God. I think we can agree upon that. Like Jacob has heard who God is. Right? He's heard the stories of God showing up to Abraham and then God showing up to Isaac and this blessing that God gave. He's heard it all. Now he comes to a place where he sees it. You see what I mean? Now he's seeing it. It's not just a story that he heard like, oh, crazy grandpa said God talked to him, right? No, this is, he's seeing it for himself, right? Now, let me give you a, let me give you a sense for another, uh, there's another place where this happened, something like this happened. It's Job chapter 42, verse 5. Job chapter 42, verse 5, you remember, like Job is having this kind of discourse with God, and finally, God himself comes down and says, let me tell you who I am, son, right? Let me tell you who I am. And Job has nothing left to say. <laughs> When, when that happens. And this is what Job says. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, this was what it meant. This was what the experience of being in the presence of God did to righteous Job. He said, I'm nothing. I'm a man of unclean lips and I repent. And was, was that response pleasing to the Lord? Yes, it was. It's like, that's, that's what I was looking for, Job. Now you understand who I am. And we're going to see, we're going to contrast this a little bit with how, I, uh, with how Jacob responds. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a mixed response that we see him have. So now, onto that, onto that next line. How will all the families of the earth be blessed? Well, we now know, looking back in retrospect, He's talking about Jesus. The offspring that he's talking about is Je ultimately it's Jesus. And Je through Jesus, the whole earth was to be blessed. And did that happen? Yes, it did. Did Jesus die for the sins of all mankind? Yes, he did. Right? So we're looking, we're on the other side looking back now, right? At, at, at the fact that that happened. This thing that was prophesied however many thousands of years ago was dead on and has happened in the world, and we can testify to that. Now I want to get into what the vision means, y'all. That vision is crazy. I, 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 let me tell you, I went into this having no clue, like no understanding. I'm like, a bunch of angels on a staircase? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Lord, show me. And so I uh, began to study, and, and, and I believe the Lord has shown me. So I'm going to take you. So, so again, that image I'm gonna, there, that, that image shows up another place where you may not expect in the New Testament. Anybody know? It, just raise your hand. Don't tell me. Anybody know where this shows up in the New Testament? Manny does because I told him. Anybody else? <laughs> okay. 
All right. We got a lot of people to know. Okay. So John chapter 1, verse 45 through 51. And I'm going to summarize, right? There's a, there's the, Jesus is calling disciples. There's this guy named Nathaniel that comes to see, right? He comes to see Jesus and is not convinced because like, he's like, well, how could anything good come out of Nazareth, right? I guess Nazareth was like, I don't know, wasn't, wasn't a savory place to be from, I guess. And uh, well, see, I was going to avoid making comparisons to Colorado Springs. Okay. All right. So, so anyway, so, so uh, Jesus sees him and says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you hear that? You will see the angels ascending and descending on what? The Son of Man. Right? Who is the ladder? Jesus is the ladder. Who is the staircase to, to an open heaven? Jesus. Jacob saw a vision of Jesus. Ain't that something? Come on, man. Jump up and down or something. <laughs> Come on. That's some good stuff, right? Hey, that was just in there, dude. I didn't even make that up. That's in there. All right. So, so Jesus is the ladder, right? There's so many ramifications of this, okay? Jesus is the ladder. That could be a song. I could be a rap. I don't care. It's for the rest of your life. Okay. So Jesus is the conduit for God's presence because y'all understand the angels are the messengers of his presence, right? Jesus is the conduit for God's presence. Jesus is the two-way street. We're talking about an interactive relationship, y'all, right? We're talking about an interactive relationship between God and man. We're talking about Jesus as the access point to heaven, right? The heavens, you're going to, Nathaniel, you're going to see the heavens opened. You're going to see the heavens open with your eyes, and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon me, the Son of Man, right? Access point, Jesus being the access point to heaven. Like, these are all things that we know, but I want us to see them in a new way. I want us to encounter them in a new way. So now I'm going to take you back to Colossians 1, 26 through 27, Right? Jacob saw something. Jacob saw something. Jacob didn't even necessarily know what he saw, but he saw something that was glorious and that was going to take on greater importance the further we get in history, right? Now, now and this is Paul now looking back. Colossians 1, 26 through 27. The mystery, Paul's talking about the, the mystery that he's preaching to the Gentiles, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? The mystery, you know, Jacob is, is, is sitting there in the middle of the night beholding a mystery. And that mystery was going to be revealed thousands of years later. You see what I'm saying? Centur actually, centuries later. Centuries later. God's ultimate plan was to bless all the families on the earth 
through Christ. And what we're getting to see in Genesis is that that was the plan from the very beginning, right? It wasn't an alteration of the course. It wasn't like, okay, y'all do this, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to create this whole contingency. That was the plan from the very beginning. And so we see, if I take you all the way back, we see that man and woman were created in the image of God and they were in the presence of God, right? They, were, they, they dwelled with God. There's, there's a fall. They fall away from that presence. They're thrown out of the garden. And then we begin to see things just, just, just deteriorate. And eventually what we see is this tower. The people of the earth begin to build this tower because they're like, man, we're going to storm heaven. You see what I'm saying? We're going to do this unholy thing. We're, we're going to build a staircase to heaven, you might say, right? Metaphorically speaking. We're going to build a one-way staircase to heaven. We're going to storm it. We're going to take it, right? And God says, no, 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 no. Heaven isn't for you to just take, right? And God scatters it and destroys it. Um, and then we see all these different foreshadowings, right? All these foreshadowings of what's to come because, see, it is God's idea. It is God's intent to restore relationship. It is God's intent to open heaven. It is God's intent to give humans access, give, the, give us back the access that we needed to be with God and to be in his presence forever. That was always his plan, and so he begins to foreshadow. And then the climax of the story comes. Like what we've got to understand is the climax of all existence, the climax of human creation was when Jesus came. Amen? This was the climax. This was the thing that the whole Bible is trembling in anticipation of was when Jesus comes and Jesus fulfills his calling and Jesus restores all of humanity back into relationship with the living God. And I will tell you that the forefathers, right? The forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people that we respect and that, that, that have such an incredible testimony of faith, they would have given anything to experience what you get to experience today. Do you understand me? They didn't get to experience what you get to experience, right? Jacob's sitting there having this encounter with God where you might be thinking, wow, that's amazing. Wish I could have an encounter with God. Jacob would have traded that. Abraham would have traded that. David would have traded what he had. They all would have traded everything that they had to have the experience that you have, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, the culmination of the entire story, the climax, Christ in you the hope of glory. You know, uh, and, and we, get a, we get a little glimpse of that. Like David says in uh, Psalm 27, 3, man, I've been just feeding on this. I've been feeding on this, this verse, and I'm going to give it to you so that you can feed on it and let it feed your spirit. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I also seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. See, I think David had it right, right? Like God asked, God asked Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. Solomon said, make me wise. And God said, that's a good thing to ask for. I think this is the better thing. You see what I'm saying? But David says one thing. I only want one thing, that I can be in the house of the Lord, that I can dwell in your presence, right? I don't just want to come on Sundays, right? This is what David was, was begging God for, I don't just want to be with you on Sundays. I don't want to just be with you at the feast. I just don't want to, I don't want to just be with you at these different appointed times. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to be with you every single day, Father. 
That's what I want. And then I want to behold your beauty every single day. I want to see how beautiful you are. I want to be impacted and ravished and transformed by how beautiful you are. And then I want to inquire in your temple. Like I want to understand. I want to be able to come to you and ask my questions. And I want to be able to receive a response. I want to be able to receive direction and wisdom for living. Right? That's what David wanted. But David, David, as much as David loved Jesus, as much as David loved God, as, as sweet and blessed as an example as he was, he didn't get to experience God the way you get to experience God here on the other side of the cross, amen? So do you see what my purpose is today? Is for us to exalt, for us to see a little differently, for us to let our hearts be open to to the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means and what it, what it meant to these people because, man, they saw it from afar off and it gave them hope. And then he came. And now we get to look back and to, and to, and to reap the benefits of that. The thing that all of history was trembling in expectation of happening has happened and, and, and now we're on the other side of it. So... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit right now about some of the benefits and the blessings that come from being on this side of the cross to encourage us to have a renewed vigor and a renewed sense of the importance and a renewed desire and a renewed longing to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives right? And to remember to be reminded that he is better. You see what I'm saying? He's better. He's, he's better than your sitcoms. He's better than the Mandalorian. I'm speaking preach to myself. He, you see what I'm saying? He, he, he's, he's better than your hobbies. You understand what I'm saying to you? He's better than your familial relationships. He, he's, he's better than your, your, your job and your aspirations for wealth and substance. He's better than anything that you own. Like, he really is better. And I know you agree with me. I know you do. But I also know sometimes your heart doesn't, if you're honest, that often your heart doesn't. It thinks other things are sweeter than he is. Yes? And so my hope is to give you a little medicine for that today which is to try to, to paint a glorious picture for you to enter into with me. Amen? Come on. So, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This one gets me out of a lot of rough spots in my life, y'all. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I don't know about y'all, but I, I am a man who is very prone to emotional turmoil. I'm very prone to anxiety. I'm prone to being discouraged. I'm prone to those things. And what my heart craves, if you were to ask me, Johnny, what's your favorite thing that God, God gives? What's your favorite benefit, favorite blessing? I would tell you hands down in a second, it's the peace of God that surpasses understanding because I need the peace of God that surpasses understanding because sometimes when I look at my life and I look at what's coming against me, it is so discouraging that I can barely get out of bed and then I'm curled up on the floor. You understand what I'm saying? Like that's how it gets for me. 
And when I hear that there's a peace that I can have that surpasses understanding where it's not my circumstances that need to change, but I can actually go back to my circumstances and somehow have the peace of God and even be able to say to myself, I don't even know how I got here, y'all. I don't even know. I just have peace. Nothing's changed. I'm still, I, I'm still hurting, but I have peace. Man, that is, that's good news. <laughs> that's good news that we have access to something like that. That's good news that you have access to that every single day of your life. And the patriarchs didn't. Not in the way that you do. Amen? All right. So access. We've got access. We've got peace. And therefore, we get to rejoice in hope. We have hope, right? The hope of the glory of God. See, these are not just words. These are things that every person needs for our experience in order to even keep our heads up and keep walking sometimes. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, do you understand what an open... See, that's an open heaven, y'all. Do you understand that that's an open invitation to you right now, 24 hours a day? Does it, he will not turn you away when you come to the throne of grace. He says, what you will find. You, he said, you could draw, you can you with confidence. I'll, I'll, I'll use my son as an example. My son knows if I'm sitting on the couch, he doesn't ask me, hey, dad, can I get in your lap? He doesn't. Never. Once. <laughs> he jumps up there and he starts to make himself at home like he, like he owns it. Like my lap is his property. Do you understand me? And I, I love it. It's one of the most glorious things in my life. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That is how I feel about my children. And God is saying, that's how I feel about you. Come to the throne of grace. I will not turn you away. And what you will find doesn't say what you may find. It says you will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Do you understand me? This is what David longed for. This is what the prophets longed for. This is what the patriarchs longed for, and they didn't even know it. You have it. And I don't say this to condemn you, but I will say you can have as much as you want. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Like the limitation isn't on God's end, right? My son wanted to jump in my lap five times a day. I'll probably let him. 10 times, I'll probably let him. 30 times, well, I'm not God. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I, I want to I hold us there for a moment. Because it's so important for me. A, a lot of times when I'm preaching, I'm preaching from not just knowledge of what I've seen in the Word, but also experience of what God has taken me through. Often the Lord, the Lord has taken me through a process to be able to get up here and to preach from my guts, all right? And so the process for me recently has been just this exact thing, you know, going through a season. Y'all have seen me. Y'all have seen my face. I've been downcast. I've been hurting. You've been asking me how I'm doing. I'm saying it's complicated, right? <laughs> like, you know, I've been, having, I've been having a lot of trouble. A big part of it is trouble at work. And, you know, realized several weeks ago, and actually got convicted uh, during, uh, during Joel's televised message, actually. The Lord convicted me and, and did something to me. 
and, and realized, you know, man, my issue is, so much of my issue is that I'm, I'm giving my heart and my attention to all these other things and I'm forgetting to go and climb into my father's lap. Like that really is what happened to me, y'all. That really is what happened to me. I was forgetting, I was neglecting to get into my father's lap. And so in preparation for this message, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to invite everybody in this place that we have a father who is waiting for you. And that the thing that you need, if I try to peel it back, like what does is, what is a human being need? We need food and we need water, right? But there's one other thing that we need more than those things. And it's the presence of God. It's the thing that David was crying out for. I want to be with you all the days of my life. So, you know, what do you need? You know, I want you to ask yourself that. What do you need? The problems that you're dealing with, the pain that you're dealing with, the loss that you're dealing with, the struggles, the sin struggles that you're dealing with, the issues, the failures, the shortcomings. You know, where, where do we start in terms of knowing what we need? I'm going to tell you what you need. I have the answer for you. You need the presence of God, right? The presence of God precedes all his benefits. You need the love of God, you need the presence of God first. You need the healing of God, you need the presence of God first. You need the joy of God, you need the presence of God first. Amen? You hear me on that? You need to be with God. And that looks different for everybody, you know? Like, it looks different. I've talked to all kinds of different people. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? For some people, it's like, I got to go get out into nature. I got to go, that, that just does something to me. Some people, it's like, oh, I got to go worship. I got to go listen to, listen to my, my playlist and throw my hands in the air. You know, some people say, I, I mean, some people say, I got to get into the word. Got to get into the word and, and ask the Lord to meet me there. And he does. And some people will say, I mean, for me, for me, it's I've got to go out when it's dark and I've got to walk the streets, right? And I've got to be a sojourner and a stranger under heaven and feel like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. And I've got, got to call out in my heart to him. See, that's what I've got to do. But the thing is, do what you've got to do. You hear what I'm saying? Do what you've got to do. How many meals would you really skip? How many glasses of water would you really skip? And what would happen to you if you did? We've got to understand that our connection, right, this connection, Jacob's ladder, God with us, Emmanuel, is the essential component that we need for life. And we've got to treat it that way by the grace of God. And again, I don't say that. Some people are going to take that from me and say, oh, man, you know, well, I just better get my, my junk right. And I'm here to tell you, no, there's a lot of mercy because you need Christ in order to want Christ. Amen. I believe, therefore, I, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Like, wherever you're starting, I'm just saying start. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying start. I'm saying you got a father with, a, with an open lap saying, I'm right here. How are we going to connect? How are we going to connect today? And encourage you that direction, amen? So Jacob awoke from his sleep. Moving on. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Okay, so we see, we see mixed response. He's got some fear. He's got some awe. I think these things are, are, are proper for what he's seen. You know, he's seen his vision. 
and he's in awe. And he's a little bit scared. And he's by himself. And the sky is full of a billion stars. And he just saw a ladder going into heaven, and he doesn't know what it means. But he knew something. This is an awesome place. He didn't know that, and he was right. He said, this is the house of God and the gate of heaven. Well, was it that geographical spot? No. But is it appropriate for him to say that? I think so. This is where he met God. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this way that I go, I will give, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Okay, you catch that? <laughs> you catch, so, it, you know, there's, I said a mixed response. You got some awe, had some fear, had some worship. Now we got some bargaining going on, <laughs> right? You got some bargaining. Hey, God, if you do all that stuff, shoot, I'll tell you what I'll do, Lord. I'll make you my God. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a full tenth. I'll give you 10% of whatever I get. How's that sound? You know, like we see the nature of Jacob, right? Like this is his nature. He's the heel catcher, right? He's the swindler. But man, let me tell you what's so glorious about this. You know, did that change the promise? Did that change the promise that was given him? Isaac, you know, like Isaac, we can see the failures that Isaac tries to give the blessing to somebody else and tries to get in the way of God. Does that steal the blessing from Isaac? Does God say, I'm no longer Isaac's God, just Abraham and Jacob now? No, right? We see his faithfulness to us that even when we struggle, right? Even when we struggle, he still comes through for us. But we do see that Jacob begins to, to bargain with God. We see a very different response than, the, than Job, right? Job is like, oh, no, no, you're master, you're Lord. I'm dust and I'm nothing. Jacob's like, all right, let's, let's cut a deal. <laughs> let's cut a deal. And God's gonna, but is God gonna break Jacob? What's about to happen to Jacob? The swindler's about to get swindled, right? You know? And, through, and we're going to see a pattern of, 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 of loss and pain and difficulty through the rest of his life and losing some of the things that he, he, he tried so hard to get because God's dealing with him as a son, right? And is producing in him a heart like Job, amen? And that's what it takes. Let's get the worship team to come on up. So we see Esau's response, his unholy response to God, right? Which was, you know, I just want, I just want what I want. I just want what I want, and that's the end of it. And I'll manipulate circumstances to try to get what I want. And then we see Jacob's response, which is mixed, right? There's this mixture between awe and worship and then kind of bargaining, where we get a sense that, you know, he really hasn't been prepared to know who this God is. He doesn't know who this God is yet. He's had a vision. He's had an encounter. He sees him face to face. It's the beginning of something. It's good. But he still does not know what kind of God this is. And then the last question is, okay, what is our response? What is our response? What is our response? Being on this side of history, being on this side of the cross, this whole thing that's, that's been, been in motion up until the crucifixion of Christ, and now it's happened, and we're looking back upon it. What is our response, right? Jacob's ladder, you, you got more than Jacob's ladder, right? Jacob got to see a ladder. Jacob got to see angels going up and down it. You get Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is a billion times better than what he got to see. And so what is our response? And I'm going to show you something, Matthew 11:12 12 through 17. I love this verse. This verse is a trip. 
Matthew 11, 12 through 17, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets. Okay, so, so, so that's not a bad thing, just so you understand. The kingdom of heaven was opened at a certain point. Does that make sense? These people were trying to build a tower to get there. God broke it apart. But then at a certain point, God said, open season. I've sent my son. Now you can come. And people come crashing in. Do you understand? This is what the people were doing. Jesus came on the scene and they're crashing in. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, all bets were off. Because there was an understanding, Messiah has come, right? And now we've got prostitutes and adulterers and tax collectors and all the riffraff and anybody who wants to come is now like, there's the kingdom of God. Let's go get some of it. And God's saying, yes, I'm here. Come and sit in my lap. I sent my son. He paid the cost for your sins. Heaven is open now, right? Let's understand that. Right? Let's understand that the thing that's been presented to us is not a small thing. And it's so easy in our culture to be like, oh, my life's about work. Oh, my life's about paying my bills. Oh, my life, I'm trying to be a good family man. Oh, my life's about, oh, my life's about whatever. It's like, man, let's, let's, let's just remember for a moment. People longed for this to happen. <laughs> right? The world was in complete expectation for this to happen. And in the beginning, we see, we see people were stampeding the kingdom. They were stampeding to get in. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and all of these other prophets and great, great people got to hear and they got to see you get to experience the indwelling Christ in you, the hope of glory. So my encouragement and my exhortation is to indulge in his presence. My encouragement is to taste and see. My encouragement is to remember and to think about what are the ways that I connect with God? What are, what, you know, the way that God created me as an individual, what are those ways? And man, let me tell you, you just go work that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You go work that. Turn on your worship music, right? Make it a priority. Call on the Lord to draw you to him in that way. Because I will tell you, one of the lessons for me, when I, you know, if you would have asked me three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when I'm kind of going through the middle of it, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm about to start binge watching The Mandalorian, and you would have said, Johnny, what do you want more, The Mandalorian or God? And if I was honest, I would have told you, man, I want the Mandalorian. Can you resonate with that? But let me tell you something. That's not what I really wanted, even though I thought that's what I wanted. That's not what you really want, even though you think that's what you want. Even though you see your sin and you say, I'm not worthy because my heart doesn't have the right desires. It's like, no, man. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Even though sometimes we can't recognize it or see it. Sometimes we haven't been sowing to that. And sometimes it's hard to see, but it doesn't mean it's not true. 
So I'm, I'm inviting you to enter into that reality by faith that not even, you can't even always trust your experience and your feelings about what's happening to you because underneath that, he's got you. And he will remind you what you really want. And he does want you to climb up in his lap. And I'm not sitting here saying that if you'll check the boxes like Esau, then you're going to have this great experience. But I'm saying, man, if you don't drink the water, you're going to be thirsty. You don't eat the bread, you're going to be hungry. So I'm not making you promises of tit for tat in a transactional like agreement like, like, uh, like Jacob's trying to make like, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this, right? And I'll give you this and whatever. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying... You need, you need to drink with no promise of what he's going to do for you, no guarantee of how it's going to play out, no guarantee that if you do these exact things, then it's going to look this exact way in exactly 15 minutes. You know, when he climbs up into my lap, it's because he wants to be with me. or because he knows he needs to be with me. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for these people. I thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much, Lord God, that there is a treasure that we have access to that is so glorious that our hearts and minds fail to even apprehend what it is. But I pray that you'll do a little more to, to cause our appetites to be whetted, to cause our senses to be stimulated, for us to be able to begin to, to grasp and engage what the gospel means, what it means to the world, what it meant to these people that died in faith not having tasted the promise. And I pray that that would not create guilt or condemnation in us, but that it would create great appreciation and gratitude and a desire to be violent a desire to be violent and to press into the kingdom, a desire to run into daddy's lap and say, I ain't gonna let anything stop me today from getting where I need to be. Do super abundantly more than I could ask or think in the presence of these people and in the hearts of these people and in my heart and my son's heart and my wife's heart and my family's heart and this church's heart, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.